Counselor Association, this is I Hear You Say, a podcast for school counselors and other leaders in education. I'm Jen Walsh, Director of Education and Training here at ASCA. New York Times bestselling author Gloria Felt has said, knowing your history can give you the tools to shape your future. Today, we talk about the history and evolution of school counseling and education in general with Dr. Norman Geisbers, often referred to as the father of modern school counseling. Dr. Geisbers is a professor emeritus at the University of Missouri. He has been a major contributor to the field of school counseling for more than 40 years, focusing on comprehensive school counseling programs, and his work was instrumental in developing the ASCA national model. We'll also hear from Dr. Geisbers on what he sees for the future of the school counseling profession. Welcome, Dr. Geisbers. I hear you say that the roots of modern school counseling can be traced back to two topics that are in the news today, CTE and Russia. Well, there were two pieces of legislation that were very significant after World War II. 1946, the George Barden Act was passed, which was a piece of vocational education or career and technical education today legislation and in that piece of legislation was support for counselors and so that was a major piece of legislation that created an environment in many states to promote what we would call school counseling today. Then a major piece of legislation was the National Defense Education Act 1958. You recall that was a piece of legislation that was caused by the Russians who sent up a satellite and Congress said, well, we're behind in technology and science. We need more young people in those fields, somewhat similar to STEM today. Then they said, well, but who can help those young people? And obviously they needed to have people called school counselors. So Title V had two parts. One dealt with training of people and then the other dealt with assessment or testing. In the training, they made available monies for summer institutes and year-long institutes, and it provided a way for counselor educators to connect with each other because there was money for travel, there was money to support consultants coming in, and so forth. Now you have to remember who the people were who were being trained. They were primarily teachers and administrators because there were a few counselors going back into the 20s and the 30s and the 40s, but most of the people who were drawn to those institutes were teachers and administrators. So a heavy emphasis on the training was in counseling and Rogerian uh, client-centered approaches were very popular at that time. So the NDA Institute program created a real boom in the field. And this would have been like the late 50s and early 60s. And then at that time, elementary counseling began to emerge. It had been there before, but it really didn't take off until the 60s. So there was a lot of things going on in our culture, our economy, that all created an atmosphere that promoted the growth of school counseling. And that, of course, continued on into the 60s, 70s, and on. And now we'll take a short break with Dr. Geisbers for our quick tip segment from the Ask a Scene. One first-year school counselor asked, what have others done for and during open house at their schools? And we had some great responses. 
Rebecca says, I always stand at the door where most people come in and greet parents and students. If it's the very first open house where they need to find their classrooms, then I'll help them do that. I also wear a shirt or a button that says I'm the school counselor. I've found that parents may know my face and they may know my name, but they may not put the two together. Danielle says, I am available for parents in our counseling office on our back to school night, as well as the parent-teacher conferences. Some of the counselors in my department will also give presentations. For an example, in the fall and winter, they do a college presentation to parents of 12th and 11th graders, highlighting the college process. And then Raymond says that his department has a literature and resource table in the main quad area during open house nights. They have a trifold that provides info on all counseling staff, as well as graduation requirements and how to access their services. They also have community resource flyers that they make available on their table. What great tips. Thanks everyone. And now back to Dr. Geispers, who will talk about what he has seen as the biggest changes in the school counseling profession. Somebody asked me uh, if I could characterize uh, the evolution of school counseling, some 120 years of work. And I uh, thought about that and uh, came up with the idea that what we have done is we've moved from a position approach with a list of duties, which made sense because teachers and administrators were doing that in the teens and the 20s and the 30s and so forth. And then in the 30s, they came up with an idea of services. And so they already had now uh, people acting as school counselors, they had people in school psychology, they had attendance workers, and they needed somewhere to gather all of those people together. So they hit on the notion of pupil personnel services, which turned out to be an interesting innovation in one sense because it has had a great deal of impact on who we are. At that time also, they had to do something with guidance. And so they came up with services. And there were a number of lists of services, and one of which were assessment, information, counseling, placement, and follow-up. And those were the services that were promoted as a way to talk about our field. And today, for example, you don't hear placement and follow-up much. And that really is a, a kind of a connection back to our days with career and technical education because they were very much involved in that particular activity of follow-up and placement of their students and so it naturally tied over to us. Assessment, sometimes we wonder how we got connected with testing. Well, it began very early and uh, so they came up with that idea and so we became then a group of services within pupil personnel services. And that just grew and expanded into the 50s and the 60s particularly. Pupil personnel services just expanded greatly. And at that time, they were toying with the idea, well, what do we name those people? Because we had different people involved. And one of the problems been for school counseling is we had different titles, calling different things, uh, people different things, but doing work with what we would call school counseling. So uh, one idea was we're going to name all of them personnel workers. So school psychologists, 
counselors, attendance workers, would all become personnel workers. Well, you can imagine that didn't get very far because uh, each discipline wanted its own title and so forth. But in the 60s and the 70s, we became really part of that pupil personnel services, and that cast us into, organizationally, into services in the schools. At one time, we had a foot in instruction. You go way back and you see connections to curriculum work and so forth. That kind of went by the wayside, and so we became part of services. Now, if you stop and think about that for a moment, Organizationally, that made quite a change in terms of how we were perceived by the public, by administrators and others. And in the 60s, there was real discussion about that, and a number of writers said, you know, we have lost our content and we have gone to process, meaning we no longer do instruction or information, we simply do counseling or variations of that. And it was interesting, NCDA, NVGA at the time, held a number of conferences on curriculum and, of course, career being mainstream there. And so it kind of pulled us away from the instruction part and made us a service. And unfortunately, sometimes people attach the word ancillary to services, which means, in my opinion, nice but not necessary. take a short break with Dr. Geisbers. As Dr. Geisbers explains, the school counseling profession has continuously evolved throughout the years. Did you know that ASCA has a ton of resources to help you clarify your role as the school counselor? On our website, schoolcounselor.org, you can find documents such as the role of the school counselor, the who are school counselors infographic, list of appropriate and inappropriate duties, empirical studies on the effectiveness of school counselors, and the essential role of school counselors at the various levels. You can also find an awesome video about the role of school counselors that was filmed during this year's School Counselor of the Year event. These documents are available to help you advocate for your critical role within the school and to promote your school counseling program. They are also great resources to provide during back to school nights or open house night to educate parents on the role that you play with their kids. Again, you can find all of these resources on our website, schoolcounselor.org. And now we'll hear from Dr. Geisbers on what he feels the biggest changes to education have been and the impact that those changes have had on the school counseling profession. Obviously, the change of culture, diversity, major issues have had impact in terms of the different populations in schools today. I think some of the things that we have going on with technology and different things, mental health, a big issue, it seems to be increasing issues today. I remember when I first came into the field, when you said, when you said cutting, that meant classes. <laughs> and today it means self, which is a, an in, kind of a way of saying the change that has taken place in terms of some of the issues that our school counselors are facing today. So I think over the decades, different emphases on academics and then interest on career and now social-emotional issues and so forth have all kind of grown 
tremendously in all of those issues that come from that. And then technology, goodness. Uh, now people are doing all kinds of things with their cell phones and so forth, which I think leads to some problems for young people today. I know talking with some, they talk about some students are isolated because all they do is look at their cell phone. They don't have the social skills anymore. So a number of these things are having great impact, I believe, on our field. The evolution, as I mentioned, of school counseling moved from a position to services to now program. And that has had tremendous impact because if you look at the original constellation of work that people who are called school counselors did, they essentially got lists of duties. And it made sense during the early years because they were teachers and administrators and they already knew who they were. They just took on some additional tasks. So a list of duties made some sense at that point. As the years unfolded, it made less sense because as we became more present in the schools, you got into an issue of, well, what duties? And then we find out, and even back in the 20s and the 30s, they were complaining that some administrators or others had put some other duties into this list that had nothing to do with the work of school counselors. So the position approach obviously had its day, but by the 1960s it became apparent we needed to move to a program approach. And a program is an organized sequence of activities and interventions. And I was reading not too long ago a book written by the Heath brothers, and they talked about in their book, why do some ideas prevail and others fail? And one of the conclusions they came to was common language. If there's common language, then that has potential of spreading because people can connect to that. And for example, ASCA has a perfect example of that. One voice, one vision. And that speaks to common language. And the problem with the uh, list of duties was that there would be different lists even in the same district. So how do you communicate something about who you are with a list of 29 duties? Where do you start? What's the size of those? And so forth. So the idea of the program came into being to try to provide some organizational structure where heretofore there had been none. And that's where uh, we started developing things in the 70s, 80s, and the 90s, and then of course ASCA came aboard in uh, the 2000s and with the national model, and that has had tremendous impact. I believe that's going to continue because it gives our school counselors common language to communicate with each other, but more importantly with their publics, with administrators about who they are and what they can do. We do have some problems, and one is still duties being assigned that do not make sense for the school counselor. And it goes back to our history, assessment for example. We built our whole profession around partly assessment, and of course, oh, they said that's a good idea, so we'll give you the school testing program. Well, that goes beyond what we were talking about, and so um, it was a matter of saying we need to define more clearly the work of school counselors, and the way to do that is with a program structure. 
Now, it doesn't mean you do the same thing in the same way uh, across the board, but what's common is the structure. And that gives you the language that you can use to talk with each other and the public and so forth about who we are. And I see that as a continuing thrust. And I think we need to continue to work on getting full implementation. If we have one task, it's full implementation. And we still have a long way to go. Some people still don't know. Uh, recently I saw a list of duties in a new position being advertised. There were uh, 15 duties and you go down the list and duty number seven was develop and implement a school counseling program. It's been treated as another duty. See, it isn't another duty, it is the duty. And that's something we need to convey, I believe, as we go forward. What advice do you want new school counselors to hear you say? I would say one word, and it's perseverance. And perseverance means willingness to work hard, sometimes experiencing failure, sometimes experiencing frustration, but you continue. And I think to use this analogy, it isn't the 100th strike that breaks the rock, it's the 99 before. And if you stop and think about that, it means that a lot of work has to be done. And so my advice is, yes, go ahead, try. And I found in my own experience, sometimes we get anxious about doing something and we worry about it. What I found is you have to say, yes, go ahead. And what that does is it opens up possibilities that you don't know about until you say yes. And then you worry, well, can I do this? And what happens is you find out you can, and you then are able to do professional work and other things. So I would say to our young people, say yes. Because if you say no, you'll never have the experience of what it's like to say yes. So that being my advice, and the word perseverance is the word I would choose to uh, emphasize. And what do you love most about school counseling? The people. Number one, uh, the students uh, with whom we work, the young people, elementary, middle school, high school, adults now. And for me, as a counselor educator, I love the young people coming into the field. They're amazing. And to me, that's the breath of fresh air as we move forward because those are young people who have committed and uh, they are interested in working with young people and they do an outstanding job. So I'm very impressed with the young people. And I might brag for just a moment. My granddaughter is an elementary school counselor in Kansas City, Kansas. And I, I was delighted that she's in that kind of position. And she's that kind of person who is committed to young people and wants to work with them in you know as many different ways as we do in school counseling. I hear you say that perseverance and having a love for working with people are important qualities to have as a school counselor, but what else makes a good school counselor? Well, there's a basic minimum that you need in terms of ability, academic, 
uh, obviously, but it's much more than that. There are certain personality characteristics that to me are important, and an interest in working with people, making connections. Uh, some research indicates that students do better in school if they feel connected. Well, I believe that's what school counselors do and can do, and I feel very connected to my students as I see them now as they're out working, getting awards and so forth. I just attended our Missouri School Counselor Association award program, and it was very interesting to see a couple of my students receiving awards and seeing their progress in the field and what they're doing. So it, it, it's their ability to connect with students and their ability to persevere, that word again, and they're just, just there as a presence with young people and they're willing to work with them. And it, it is important, I believe, for our school counselors to understand their history because it really started 120 plus years ago and it started because of the Industrial Revolution. There were economic changes, social changes going on at the turn of the last century, the early 1900s. And it's amazing, out of that came this whole movement. And so I think it's helpful for them to understand something about their connection and realize there weren't school counselors there at the time. They were teachers and administrators doing this. In fact, there was a very interesting man by the name of Jesse B. Davis, principal of a high school in Grand Rapids, Michigan. He wrote a book in 1914 called Vocational and Moral Guidance. Very interesting combination of words. And in it, he outlined a curriculum for guidance work in the schools in grade 7 through grade 12, and being taught in the uh, oral English, as they called it at that time. And he saw it as the work of administrators. He did not see it as a new field. In fact, it was interesting in some of the early literature, they were, they were criticizing some administrators because they said <clears throat> they're spending so much time in guidance that they have little time for administration, which is kind of an interesting play based on what we sometimes run into too. But in any event, knowing the history and appreciate some of the people that have had an impact on the field and how the field has taken those ideas and grown and expanded and I guess if they know that history then they can become part of it and know that they are part of the history and it's going to continue to evolve and I'm very happy uh, there are so many young people today who are in positions where they're able to do that. I'm ready to step back, play golf if I can, but it's their time now and to me that's the exciting part because I know some of those people and I know the work that they can do. So knowing the history I think is important for our school counselors. Thank you so much Dr. Geisbers for joining us today. It was such a pleasure getting to talk to you and learn more about the history of school counseling and also hear about what you see for the future of the profession. To close this episode today, I'd like to talk about what gives me hope this week, and that is that school counselors are in the news. In our talk with Dr. Geisbers, he stresses the evolution of the school counseling profession. 
On August 27th, Education Week released an article, School Counselors, Unsung Heroes of School Climate. In this article, the author, Matthew Portal, talks about the school counselor in his school, Dr. Beth Schroeder, who played a critical role in pursuing a trauma-informed approach within their school building. In the interview, Dr. Schroeder discusses the role of the school counselor, saying, We are vital members of the education team. School counselors create comprehensive school counseling programs that focus on education, prevention, and intervention activities. We provide proactive programming that engages students and includes leadership, advocacy, and collaboration with school staff, administrators, and families. Another article in the news this week, this time in the Daily Press on August 21st, discussing Virginia lawmakers getting another pitch for smaller student-to-counselor ratios during a subcommittee meeting in Richmond of the House of Delegates Select Committee on School Safety. Also pitched during this meeting was requiring counselors to devote 80% of their time to direct counseling services. These articles give me hope that the word is getting out about the critical role school counselors have in the school community, and at the same time, they're educating the community about what that role is and what it entails today. The more we advocate for our role as school counselors, ultimately that's more impact that we can have on students who are the future, and that's what gives me hope. Thanks for joining us today, and please remember to access our website for invaluable resources about advocating for your role as a school counselor at schoolcounselor.org.